listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. open up to the book of Judges. We are in part two of our new series, Broken People, Faithful God. We're working through the book of Judges up until Christmas, and we have a lot in store, all right? What a story we have today. We have a story about an oppressive king and an unlikely deliverer, and that's really all I want to give you, okay? That's all I want to give you to introduce this. Um, I don't know there's elements of this story. Actually, all of the elements to a good movie are in this story in Judges chapter 3. And if you've ever seen one of those trailers before you watch a movie that just, you know, you watch it and it's like, oh, that looks good. That looks great. I, let's watch the movie. Then you see the movie and you realize that every major plot twist and plot turn was already baked into the trailer. You're just disappointed, right? Like my wife and I notice this now. Sometimes I'll look at Julie and be like, oh, Let's just not watch this movie. I feel like we've just watched the movie. And now we, we've, that's happened so many times, we don't even have to say it anymore. We just look at each other and laugh, and we, and we move on. And we ne- usually never even find a movie we want to watch anyway. But um, I'm going to dive right in and let the story unfold for you today. So Judges 3, verse 7, right where we left off last week. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishtham, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served that guy that I I said his name perfect the first time. I'm going to just, like, you know, I don't think I could top it the first time. Um, But that, that one, eight years... When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishayam, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishayam. So the Lord, so the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel son of Kenez, died. All right, so we've just met the first judge in the book of Judges, Othniel. And notice what it says about him as we get started here. He's Caleb's younger brother. He's from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah, if you, if you study this time period in, in, in the people of Israel, this is like the cream of the crop, all right? I would use an example here of a top sports team, but I don't want to offend anyone right now. But just think... Yeah, (laughs) just think the pinnacle team that everybody strives to be. That's like the tribe of Judah, all right? And so so he's also Caleb's younger brother, and we talked about Caleb last week. This guy comes from good stock, the strongest tribe. I mean, that's also the tribe that, that King David came from, which we, of course, know now Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. But strong pedigree right here. It's a little sad that it took, took Othniel eight years to step up and, and do something, right? Like, that's not great. But, but he did. He did. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He went to war. He won back the land. And they had peace for 40 years. 
That's a pretty big deal. That's, that's amazing, right? This is one of the top three judges in, in the book of Judges right here. And you can just see the opening scene, right? Like victory, like the battle's ending. We have peace in the land now for 40 years. The, vic- uh, the enemy's, enemy's gone. Times were good again. Then verse 7 happens, and you will again notice the pattern of sin that got Israel into these eight years of oppression to begin with. Verse 7 says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, what was that? They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And we touched on this last week. We'll go over it again right now quickly. And I can tell you right now, this this isn't the first and it won't be the last time that you see this cycle of, of sin repeated in the book of Judges. But here's a graph for you. There's a pattern, and I know you might not be able to read that. It's, it's a little small. But we have the people rebel and do evil. The Lord responds with, with anger. He, he, the Lord hates sin, right? So the anger of the Lord leads to judgment. And then we have, with that judgment, we have oppression by enemies. After a while, eventually the people own it. They cry out to the Lord in repentance Then we have salvation through a chosen judge. We have a period of peace. Then the judge dies. And then we just repeat the cycle again. That is the book of Judges in a nutshell. And that's really depressing and sad if you just looked at it at face value. Thank goodness there's more to this story. There's more to the book of Judges. This is something, again, that points us to our Savior Jesus Christ because he's the one who ultimately brings victory. But the people forgot God, and then they rebelled. And let's talk about this a little bit more. I know we spent time this morning with communion, but what does it really mean to forget God? God isn't someone you're going to just completely forget about, right? I mean, you can forget names, but, I mean, how can you forget the name God? I mean, that's not happening practically. So what does it really mean that they forgot God? You could put it this way. Though they knew who God was and what he wanted, those things were not important to them anymore. They were not important enough to them to make them a part of their actual life. And and we emphasized this last week when I talked about inserting yourself in the dark story. It's really easy to shake your head at these people like, oh, wow, can you... Are you you serious? You did it again and again and again. How, How could you... But we can easily fall into the same trap when we don't place our God as the king of our heart. And we saw a lot of this even in our last series when we were in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 urges us to grow. And Peter points out that if you're not growing, it's actually not because you're just not trying hard enough. Do you remember what Peter said there in in 2 Peter 1.9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And in verse 12, he says, Therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. We need reminders of who God is and what he's done for us. Very convenient and intentional that we did Lord's Supper today, Right? We can't forget, and this is why we need to stay in the word of God. This is why we have to stay in fellowship with the body of Christ and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
because we are prone to wander. Do you feel that? Anyone in the room feel that today? We need to do all of these, all of these things that help us remember who God is, whether that's um, instead of listening to a podcast, you're going to listen to some Christian music at times. Whether that's, you know, what, are, what is the first thing you're going to read in the morning? Is it looking at your phone or is it actually I'm going to take the time to make breakfast, get a cup of coffee, and open up the Word of God? It's going to be different for everyone, but we need to remember who God is and what he's done for us. God made us relational, and we were all in a spiritual warfare battle at the same time. So if we're not prepared for the battle, we will be taken out. We will be defeated. So there was this period of 40 years of rest, and what happened next? Um, you know, we've, we've gone over this true to form. Othniel, son of Kenez, died, and history repeats, repeats itself in verse 12. The people, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. That phrase, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord, is used eight different times in the book of Judges. Three of those times it's in this chapter. And the thing is, people naturally tend to focus on the negative. So when we see us, when we're in a sermon series like this, you know, it can easily be like, oh, wow, look at all the people. Look at how terrible they were, right? Well, part of that is because people like drama. It's hard to turn on the news or even go to the grocery store without seeing something broken and fallen and messed up in this world. We are very quick to spot the bad, and we can get easily consumed with all the negative and miss what God does with all the pain and the suffering and the evil. So what I want to draw your attention to here right now is not the evil that the people did, but the fact that the people were broken, but God is faithful. God is faithful. And here's something to look for in this book. Every single time that we see Israel went down the wrong path, what did God do? Well, he gave them over to their desires and their depravity, and, the, and then the people would suffer, and then the people would cry out in Every single time that the people cried out in repentance for God, our God of mercy and grace showed up and delivered them. As soon as they called out to him in repentance, he forgives and rescues them. That's the God we have. What a faithful and merciful God we have. He's the same God for you and I. He's ready to welcome you back with open arms and cleanse you and restore you. And so often, people focus on themselves and what they can and cannot do. Oh, I can never do that, and I, I, that's just not who I am. We have to stop focusing on our own deficiencies, our own problems, our own weaknesses, and focus on our identity in God. Who has he made us to be? What is he calling us to do? So let's keep going in the story. Verse 12, pick it back up in verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened, how did God respond this time? He strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So Eglon, verse 13, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and he went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. This is where our story is really going to start picking up. 
Because, yeah, we started with that thrilling victory with Othniel taking back the land, 40 years of peace, but then things slowly started falling apart, and you insert the villain into the story. And this time, the Lord strengthened Eglon. That's the way God decided to move. This is another reminder to all of us that the king's hand, excuse me, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God gives us the leaders that we deserve. It's under his control. He is the one pulling the strings. God's people were in a bad place, and because God loves them, he disciplines them. So Eglon gathers some tribes together. They defeat Israel, and they regain possession of the city of Palms. This is not the west side of Los Angeles. Um, The city of Palms is actually another name for Jericho. And so for 18 years, the people of Israel served under King Eglon. And Eglon's name literally means calf guy or or calf-like. He's a very large man, as we're going to see in the text in a minute. Um, You could call this guy man-cow because that's what his name meant. Okay, and when I, when I picture King Eglon, I just think of every fat, indulgent, narcissistic king I have ever seen in the movies. You get that, you get that picture? This is the guy, all right? He's spoiled, he's get, he gets whatever he wants, and uh, at this time, there weren't even a lot of overweight people in the, in the culture, in the society, right? Because everybody was doing manual labor jobs, and the food wasn't like poisoned, right, like with with preservatives and all that stuff. So it was very rare to be overweight. This guy was, um, so he had to have been a fat, indulgent glutton. That's our setting. And this is where I want to really turn it up with the personal application for you. We've got the setting down. But here is four ways today that you can find the Savior's strength to slay the sin that holds you captive. And I'm not saying that you are held captive to King Eglon. We all know, thank goodness, none of us uh, have, a, have a big old nasty king, you know, uh, lording over us, right? But there is sin that can creep in and take over your life and hold you captive. Maybe there's an addiction that you can't shake. Maybe you have shame from your past. And the only way that you're going to get actual victory and freedom from your sin is through Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to spiritualize this story this morning, but as we work through this story, I want to show you four applicational ways that you can find the Savior's strength to slay the sin that holds you captive. So I want you to personalize that. What is holding you back? What is weighing you down right now? This is the first way that you get over that through the power of Christ. Number one... You have to wake up to your reality. Now, we already read that they were in captivity for 18 years before anything happened. But if you stop and think about it, that is a very long time to be defeated. How about you? How about you, though? What's really going on in your life? Because it took them 18 years to actually own it and realize, ooh, I got to change. I got to do something here. And... And they didn't just fall into this period of time with with King Eglon overnight either, right? During those 40 years where the land was at rest, there is a pattern where slowly they drifted away. It never just happens overnight. 
So are you, this is a question we had, you know, two weeks ago. Are you experiencing joy and peace in Christ? If you're not experiencing joy and peace in Christ, there's something hindering your growth with him, right? Are you weary and tired? Are you settling for something because you just don't feel like, oh, I, I just don't even deserve any better, so I'll just settle for this? Are you truly satisfied in your life right now? That's what I want you to answer. A lot of people don't want to face reality. We want to pretend that it's better than it is. So we craft an image on social media. We buy the car that we can't afford to pretend like we're doing better than we actually are. We, we can do all of these different things, and statistics don't lie. All of this comparison and keeping up with the Joneses has people more anxious and more depressed than ever. The sin of comparison will eat you alive, but sin suffocates the life out of you. And it will drag on and on and on until you wake up and realize the promises of the Lord that say you don't have to live like this. You don't. It doesn't have to be this way. So three things about sin that I want to I park on for a second here. This is, we talked about the grace of God. I do want to emphasize sin because it's such a devastating thing. But sin is always a slow fade. You know, we don't know all the details of how this, these 40, 40 years of rest happened and, and slid away. We don't know the details. But complacency always leads to conformity to the world eventually. And you see this in Hebrews 3.13, where it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I don't know about you, but I have never met, one, met someone who just was doing great. They were walking with Christ. They were having a relationship with him. They were in prayer. They were in fellowship. They were in community. They were serving the Lord one day, and the next day they just found themselves in a ditch destroying their life. Have you ever met anyone like that? That's not how it works. It's always a slow fade. It's, well, I stopped having a personal time with the Lord. I, I, I stopped actually applying the truth that I know to my own heart and my, my own life. It's always a slow fade. You don't just fall off a cliff one day. It's always daily decisions that lead to the next daily decisions. Next one is sin over promises and under delivers every time. Sin is deceitful. It looks good. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, so every single time that you're tempted to sin and you fall into that sin, it's rooted in a lie. You can take this all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? The serpent says to Eve, did God really say? There's, a, there's this lie that the enemy will attack you with that says God is trying to rob you of something that is, that is better than what he's already promised you. So when we, when we forget who God is and what he's done for us and we listen to the lies of this world and we actually cave and we follow this, this fleeting pursuit of an of a empty promise, we are not believing that God loves you. God has a better path for you. 
Romans 1.26, when it, that, that whole chapter in Romans 1 where it talks about the pattern of falling into depravity. It starts with they did not honor him or give him thanks. Thirdly, sin is addictive. In the New Testament, it's constantly compared to bondage and slavery. Letting your sin go unchecked is very dangerous because it opens you up to an addiction. And before you even realize it, you're stuck. Unconfessed sin weakens you. Another reason why we, why we make sure we do things like the Lord's Supper where we check our hearts and we, and, we, and we make sure we get everything right with the Lord. You need to do that on a daily basis. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So that's the first step. Please wake up to the destructive reality of sin. It's just like when you're my age, you, you wake up one day and you realize, whoa, I can't eat the same diet that I used to eat, right? Has anybody ever been there where that, where that day just hits you? Yeah, I know. We've, 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 we've all pretty much, anybody who's over the age of 25 probably or, or 30 at least has, has realized, man, I can't have a greasy hamburger and fries every other day. Look what it does to me. I don't fit into my pants anymore. I can't have ice cream every night. Two scoops is too much. Did I go too far with the ice cream thing? I think I went too far with ice cream, right? <laughs> we have to wake up and realize, wait, this is reality. Sin is destructive. I have to deal with this and take it to the Lord. It has devastating results. The next step in finding deliverance for sin, number two, the next step that we get over these, these sins that will hold us captive, it may sound simple, but it's very profound, and a lot of people skip this step. Number two is cry out for deliverance. That's, that's the beginning of verse 15. We are either running to the Lord and seeking forgiveness or you are running away from the Lord. It's, it's one of those two things today. 1 John 1, 9 is written to the church. It's written to Christians. And what John, the beloved apostle, says there to the church of Jesus Christ is, confess your sins. Now, David, I thought our sin was under the blood. Isn't our, we've, already, we've already repented and believed and our sins are atoned for, Right? Yes, that's true, 100% that's true. But you still have 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is still, there is still a relationship, an ongoing relationship that we have with our Savior where, like, think about any relationship, right? If you're mistreating that person, if you're offending that person, if you're hurting that person, you can't have a restored relationship, a healthy relationship, if you don't say, hey, I'm sorry, I did that, that was wrong. And then they forgive you. Like we have to do that even though our sins are under the blood and God has separated them as far as the east is from the west, we still need to confess our sin to him and say, Lord, I did this and it was wrong. Would you please help me? Fill me with your spirit and help me to get past this. Give me the strength and the victory to defeat that sin. I don't want to do that anymore, Christ. Keep your sin account short with the Lord. Otherwise, your heart will grow cold. There's a huge problem in our culture, and it creeps in everywhere. It's called blame shifting, where instead of owning up to what we did and taking responsibility for our own actions, we want to blame someone else. 
This is why this is so simple but very profound. It's easier said than done. It takes humility. It takes honesty to say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up again. Confess it, own it, and turn away. That's literal repentance. Repentance means changing your mind so that you change your course. It's not just feeling sorry that you got caught. Changing your mind so that you change your course. Either you are running to Jesus Christ or you are running away from Jesus Christ. Now, would you please look at the rest of verse 15 with me? Because now we're going to meet our next judge. And now the story is really going to get into the action stage of the movie. All right, here we go. Um, verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes, and he presented the tribute to King Eglon. And Eglon was a very fat man. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. <laughs> Holding you on the edge of your seat, okay? Um, this is where I want to talk to you about the third way that you can find the Savior's strength to slay the sins that hold you captive. Number three, refuse to underestimate the power of the Spirit inside you. Where am I getting that? Where am I getting that from this story? Well, we just got a couple facts about Ehud, right? What did we learn about? What were the two details? Both of them are significant. Number one, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And number two, he's left-handed. Now, this is a very stark contrast, if you think about it, to Othniel, the first judge, right? We already went over that. Othniel was the first-round draft pick. He's like number one overall. If you were going to pick somebody to deliver the children of Israel, I mean, it's got to be Caleb's younger brother, right? Caleb's dead. It's as this, this is like number one overall guy. He's from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. Who is Ehud? Okay, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. If you remember last week, we talked about the tribe of Benjamin. They were one of the saddest, weakest, smallest tribes. They couldn't even get the land at all that they were supposed to conquer, right? You remember what happened there? Um, it was the Jebusites that literally drove them back. This was the weakest tribe. They lived with, the, the Jebusites lived in and among them because the Benjamin tribe was so weak and small. Ehud was a left-handed man, and, and when you read the original text, there's a very good clue in there that most likely it means that his right hand was maimed. Anybody in here left-handed, though? Anyone left-handed? We got, oh, yeah. We've got like the left-hand corner over here. Um, but yeah, there's not as many left-handed people. And today it's pretty cool, right? I mean, if you're a lefty, you can be a good pitcher in baseball. You could be a switch hitter. Like, yes, like sign me up. I wish I was a left-handed person. I mean, you raised your hand with your left hand, didn't you? That was awesome. You're proud of that. Back then, oh, even back then, being left-handed was not, not very good. though. Even the, the, the children of Israel, they looked at the right hand of the Lord as strength, Okay. And, and in that society, in that culture, you were pretty much an outcast. And chances are pretty high this man had a maimed right, right arm. Um, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. So he's like, 
you know, he's a free agent. He didn't even get drafted. Forget first round. He's the undrafted free agent who, who went to, like, Gaffney High School, and he has to walk onto the football team, right? Like, that's who Ehud is. No offense, Gaffney. No offense. But this is the person that God chose to use. Don't you love that? Thank goodness God is not a respecter of persons. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just say, oh, well, this person I'll use and this person I won't use because this person came from a good family. All of you who came from really messed up, broken families, I have really good news for you. God does not care. He loves you and he wants to use you. That's what we see here with Ehud. So he makes a plan. He starts building a sword. Um, this, is, this is great. I love it. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but this is who God chose to use. And I, before we even get to that part, though, I want you to really analyze this yourself. Have you underestimated yourself? Well, I, I'm not as talented as that person over there, and I, I can't speak as well as she can, and I didn't even go to college. Whatever, I mean, if that's even, I mean, I know it's an advantage for some people, but it, it doesn't matter, right? Like, do you look down on yourself? Are, are you so, so consumed with your limitations and your problems that you're focused on your own failures that you're forgetting that God is greater than your sin? Broken people, faithful God. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about God who can take the weakest and the smallest in the, in the most messed up situation and he can turn it on its head and he can breathe his spirit into that person and you can do amazing, mighty things. John 16, says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Your strength to overcome never resided in you in the first place. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Paul calls us jars of clay in the New Testament. Let's look what the Lord did when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Ehud. Let's pick it up in verse 16. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length. A cubit is um, an, an archaic measurement, right? But it's from the tip of the elbow to the middle finger. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, you don't know what the tribute is. I want to say it was some really nice meal. That's what I think it was. Doesn't really matter. But verse 19, but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And when all of his attendants went out from his presence. So, so the details of this story are, you know, there's, there's a translation here. This is an ancient story. It's kind of hard to piece all this together. But just, just picture Ehud, the left-handed judge, has this dagger strapped to his right thigh. He goes in and presents a tribute. And he says, I have an extra gift for you. I have a secret message for you, O king. So the king dismisses everyone out of the room. And somewhere in that exchange, we have the next thing that happens. Um, verse 20, and Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. That's another name for water closet, which is another name for you know what. 
right? You guys, you guys tracking here? Verse 21, and Ehud reached with his left hand and took from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly and the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not pull out the sword of his belly and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. And when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited until they were embarrassed. This is, this is all happening, okay? Verse 25, they waited till they were embarrassed, but when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there their Lord lay dead on the floor. So while all this was going on, Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarai. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not, and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. The land had rest for 80 years. What a story. This is a guy who, who led this charge. He became a leader. He didn't take the glory for himself. He's like, the Lord is doing this. The Lord is delivering them into our hands. They strategically got, got into a great position. And they had 80 years of rest. The fourth and final way that we can find the Savior's strength to slay the sin that holds you captive, number four, is develop a strategy to wield your sword. Ehud had a specific plan, did he not? And he executed that plan. So as he makes himself this, this two-edged sword, what, is it, what does it take to, to make a sword? Think about that for a minute. What does it take to make a sword, to craft your own handcrafted sword? Well, it takes time, right? It takes a lot of time. I mean, they would say like at least three to five days. To, to, to pound out this sword that you're making. You get a raw piece of steel, you're hammering it over and over again. You're praying, you're talking to the Lord, you're strategizing, what can I do? So he made himself a sword, he executes his plan in detail, he rallies the men, they find this strategic position at the fords, and they defeat 10,000 men. They wipe out every able-bodied man. So what can we take away from this? This is pretty obvious. This is, this is not rocket science on this application, all right? We need to take the time to be intentional and develop a strategy to defeat sin in our lives. Think about, when am I most tempted? When does that happen? Is it, is it when I'm alone, when I'm by myself? Is it when I go to this place? Is it when I hang out with these specific people? You, you can identify that, right? When are you the most tempted? It also takes faith on your part to believe in the tools that God has given you to slay the sin that holds you captive. And what are the tools that God gives you? 
church community. It's a very important one. You get fellowship, encouragement with one another. You have prayer, your ongoing conversation with God. The word of God, of course, of course. Now, if you're like me, you can't come across this phrase, he made a two-edged sword that's in the Bible without actually thinking about Hebrews 4.12, right? Anyone else there with me on that? I think of Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is the sword of the spirit, sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 is another passage that, that calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. Now, I want to be very careful here, and I want to be very clear, because I do not want to do what some people call spiritualizing the text. Spiritualizing a text of scripture is where you would say, hey, look, he made a two-edged sword. That represents the Bible. Why can't we do that? Why is that so dangerous? Well, if you read the, and a lot of people do this, if you read the Old Testament and you just constantly look for hidden meanings and like these, these nuanced details and you allegorize whatever you think it could mean or whatever you think it could say, by looking at scripture in that light, it puts man in charge of what God's word says rather than just letting the text of scripture speak for itself, rather than let God speak his truth. Now, some of these things do have symbolism and represent truth, right? We, we, we talked about this last week in 1 Corinthians. The scripture tells us that the rock in the wilderness represented Jesus Christ. And we believe that. But the New Testament is always has to be our guide. It's very dangerous to twist scripture by assigning meaning to whatever your imagination comes up with. One of the things that crushed the church and, and ushered in the dark ages was over-spiritualization hermeneutic. This allegorizing method took over and permeated all the interpretation in the church. And they got way off track. So if you've been paying attention, I've been very careful not to spiritualize anything in this sermon. We're taking principles from this story, and that, that is a little different. That's very different, actually. I'm not going to turn this into a giant allegory. It sounds cool, but it's, it's dangerous. So I'm not saying Ehud's sword was the Bible. But at the same time, the specific principle that we can get here, if we're actually formulating a plan and we're saying, God, I need to actually use the tools that you give us, well, the Bible is one of those tools, right? Are you tracking? You tracking the difference there? And Ehud hid his sword on his right thigh. Let's personalize this. Where are you to hide your sword? That's right. Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to take the time. And it's interesting that like over and over again, like over the last month, this topic keeps coming up. Like I'm not purposefully doing this. It's just, and I've, I've had conversations with three different men just this week about getting in the word, how they've been convicted and how, how over like with men's breakfast and in life groups and, and just different things, like they've actually prioritized reading the word, getting in. Sometimes it's before they even go off to work with breakfast, with their family, whatever that is. Get in the word and what a difference that makes. We have to remember that we serve the same God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and lives in you if you're a child of God. And he speaks to you through his word. 
The word of God is the will of God. So Ehud had faith. He stepped out. He did something courageous. And the spirit came upon him to do this. But you can be the same way. You don't have to stay stuck this morning. This story is wild, but the underlying truth behind it all is that we are all broken sinners, but God is faithful. You can find victory when you wake up to your reality, when you cry out to our gracious God who is ready and willing to forgive, when you stop underestimating yourself and your own deficiencies and you simply run to Jesus Christ, and number four, when you utilize the gifts that he has graciously given you. You make a plan and you prepare and he will change you and he will do great things through you. We've said all of this to point to this truth here. The spirit indwells you because of Jesus Christ. We're a New Testament church. We have the savior. We know the savior. He he is more than a hero. He is the deliverer of our sin. We're going to sing about the fact that Jesus is the one who will break you free from the sin that holds you captive. All we do is come to him. He does the rest. We're going to sing about that in a second. But I want you to talk with God before we do this. I want you to insert yourself into this dark story. Because one of the biggest lies of Satan, I've said this earlier, I'm going to say it again, is is for you to believe that you have to have it all together before you can be used by God. It's so not true. We should be seeking the Lord and growing and getting stronger, of course, but none of us have it all together. I'm up here preaching the word. I don't have it all together. God doesn't need you to be the strongest person in the room to use you. Absolutely not. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 4 earlier. In that passage, Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about being ministers of the gospel. He's like, I have given you this ministry. And he calls the gospel in that passage a treasure. Paul says to this church, and, and, and we've, we've gone through Corinthians as, as in Doxa. We preached through 1 Corinthians. We've preached through 2 Corinthians. We know that was one Messed up church, right? Very carnal church. How does, how does Paul open it up to the church of God that is at Corinth? He calls them saints, not because they had it all together, but because they knew Jesus Christ as their savior. The power of God was living inside them. And he says, you have this treasure in jars of clay, The amazing thing about a jar of clay is it's not some big fancy special box, right? It's not laced with gold and perfectly shined and flawless. No, you drop a clay jar and it breaks, right? But the beautiful thing about a clay jar is you can put it back together. You can piece it back together and you can restore a clay jar. And even through the cracks and the crevices and the holes, light will shine through a clay jar. God doesn't need you to be strong to use you. He will shine his treasure through jars of clay. Would you stand up? That's the plan God has for you. 
Don't live in shame. Confess it, own it, be real about it, take it to him. It's under the blood and actually look forward. Don't focus on all the things you can't do. Think about what God wants to do through you. He wants to shine his treasure of the gospel through you. And we're all jars of clay, and I'm thankful that we're jars of clay. And we're going to own that, and we're going to sing to him. Let's, let's come to Jesus, and we will find rest. any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.